Good morning. We're in Ephesians 5. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 today and next Sunday. I'm going to look at it one way and then I want to take us back through it next Sunday and highlight something that um, just needs a second look. So uh, we'll be in chapter 5 verses 1 through 14 today and next, uh, next Sunday. I hope you can be back worshiping with us for that. Let me read it to you. And, and it might, sometimes it, it might help if you appreciate the fact that if, if you got a letter of encouragement this week, uh, you kind of really draw in those words. They mean a lot to you. They encourage you. They help kind of shape your outlook, your attitude, the way you see yourself. Uh, people send me notes of encouragement. Man, that's... That's, is there anything better? You know, it's wonderful. Lift your spirits. But just imagine if you got a letter and you came to these words that we're going to read right now. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, I love this part, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You've heard of the Nobel Prize? I'm sure everyone has heard of the Nobel Prize in different fields. Nobel Peace Prize, for example. But how many of you have heard of the Ig Nobel Prize? Have anybody? Anyone heard of the Ig Nobel 
prize. It's a play on the words Nobel and ignoble. Nobel, of course, being he who founded the Nobel Prize, the benefactor of the Nobel Prize. Ignoble, in this case, uh, Ig Nobel, alluding to its humble and inferior status. I became aware this week of the Ig Nobel Prize because I became aware of Joseph B. Keller, who recently died. He was a two-time winner of the Ig Nobel Prize in 1999 and again in 2012. I don't think that has been done before. He was a Stanford math professor for many years. His New York Times obituary noted that Keller's major contribute he made major contributions in, and I quote, virtually every scientific field. And then it highlighted his uh, Ig Nobel Prize awards for achievements that first make people laugh then make them think. And that's because his two prizes were in these research fields, how teapots dribble and why a jogger's ponytail swings from side to side rather than up and down. Now he did this all scientifically and these have been written up in papers. You know they don't quite match his work for example back in 1944 when they were doing atomic blasts and it was his calculations that determined that such a blast could take place without creating a tsunami. So he was obviously a very serious scientist, but there was a whimsical side to him. In fact, in his obituary it says Joseph B. Keller was a man of restless and whimsical curiosity. I like that. I wish that was a proper description of Christians, too. Christians who are described as restless with whimsical curiosity. I think it seems a fit for the fact that we are lifelong disciples, lifelong learners. I think it's appropriate to have a restless and whimsical curiosity about Jesus Christ, about the character of God, about the truths of Scripture. And how much more in the light of what we're told right here in these 14 verses of the fifth chapter as God's children who are called to imitate God. Think about that. Imitate God. That is worthy of endless, restless inquiry. We are to imitate God, you and me.
We are His beloved children. But we personalize it. When we personalize it, we realize that we have a lot to learn about this God who loves us as His children and whom we are invited to call Father. Father is not used here, but we are called children, His children, more than once. And that really determines our identity, our status. In fact, in verse 5, we're called heirs. So we are so associated with Him. What an appropriate quest for us who are to imitate Him, to have a restless curiosity, to learn more about Him. And the way we are to learn more about Him, I would tell you, is right here in these opening verses. In fact, we are to love, we are to love, we're told to walk in love, which uh, emphasizes that this is a practice and not a theory. It's uh, not an ideal, it is to be our reality. And we're to imitate Him by walking in His love, and we're to imitate Him by walking in His light, as it says in verse 8. So those are the two key ways in which we are to imitate God. We are to walk in love and walk as children of the light. That's a, a tall order, and it it's difficult to grasp, but we're given comparisons. Comparisons help us to clarify things that are fuzzy, especially because a comparison matches two like things. Maybe one is clearer to us than that which is unclear, but by setting them side by side, it adds clarity or it brings into focus what was previously fuzzy. And we have three ways in which uh, Paul gives us comparisons in verses 1, 2, and 3. And so as we look at this first uh, way in which we imitate God by walking in His love, we have three comparisons. In verse 1, as beloved children. You see that? As. That introduces a comparison. As beloved children we are to understand how to imitate Him. The second is in verse 2, as Christ loved us, gave Himself up for us, a fragrant sacrificial offering to God. That's another way in which our imitation is illumined about love. And then third, in verse 3, as, you see the word as, is proper to saints. We're called saints, which means holy ones, those who are devoted, not just, you know, we are devoted in heart, but here devoted is in the sense of we belong to God. We are His because we are His children and He is our Father. And so that sense of what is proper to those who are holy, holy ones, or devoted ones, the saints. And that's how we're classified. 
I would look at these three comparisons and tell you that the first comparison as beloved children acts as a form of inspiration. It inspires us. Wouldn't you find that to be true? I know when I was a kid growing up in grade school, um, life is tough when you're a kid. You know, I hope there was a lot of love and security for you in your home. Um, I had both my parents in my home and for 18 years of their marriage, and then um, Dad left, but uh, I, that was very important to me. But it was tough at school, and part of the reason was in my neighborhood, uh, I had lots of kids that went to the same school, and we played a lot of sports. We actually had a park. I mean, that's, how cool is that when you live right across the street from a park? We had a park, and we would gather there, oh, frequently, certainly on the weekends, you know, play baseball, play football. Soccer hadn't been invented in America yet, at least not in our neck of the woods. And, but anyway, the, the rub for me was that I wasn't very athletically um, coordinated at that point. And it was always tough for me. I wanted to play. I loved playing sports. I loved being with these friends. But it was clear to me that I was the last guy that they wanted to pick. In fact, it was a bonus if somebody else was stuck with me rather than being picked by me. But can you imagine, although I, I survived that, I've never forgotten it, and it was often a point of great embarrassment, you know. Okay, you bush league, catch that fly, you know, and then I would drop it. And it was just, oh, I was a real Charlie Brown, you know. And, uh, but what if someone moved into the neighborhood who was like the best athlete of all? In fact, you know, everybody, I mean, he was like the best at school. He, in our world, he was the hero. And when it came time to choosing up teams, he picked me first. Can you imagine how that would make me feel? I mean, it would transfer to me a quality of importance and value and worth. And that's exactly what God does to us in Jesus Christ. When it says, beloved children, imitate him as, and walk in love as beloved children, that's where, that's the fount of that love. And beloved children emphasizes the fact that we are very special to him. In fact, it's often used of only children, of favored children, the kind of child that becomes a kind of, you know, the object of a helicopter parent because they just, that child is so special. Well, that, that is the nature of who we are to God, and that is reinforced, that inspiration, if you will, is reinforced by the example in verse 2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant, that fragrant offering that he was for us is an example that our love which is not a sentimental love, although it can have that sentimental affection. It can have feeling, but first and foremost, it is a selfless and sacrificial love. 
And Jesus epitomizes that. The cross of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of our love. It's the primary example of what our love is to be like when we are to imitate God. So that means I don't wait around for the feeling of love to act in love. In fact, at the very beginning of chapter 4, when it talked about living up to our calling, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, what were the kinds of things it said? It said to be patient, to be long-suffering, to be kind. It even said to bear with, to bear with one another. Well, the word bear with, that sounds real biblical. What if, what if it said put up with that person? That's exactly what the Greek word means translated bear. It says, put up with that person. And how do we do that? Well, we're to do it with kindness, courtesy. There can be a purposefulness in it. That's for sure. But in just outlining the nature of love, it's so important for us to realize that when Jesus said, love your enemies, He didn't want us to wait around for the feeling. When we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, I always like to remind us of this. That comparison is how we want to be treated, we should treat others. And that helps us understand that doing this kind of love, it isn't something we can't understand. Something we can understand is to treat people with respect, Show them courtesy, kindness, self-sacrificing, selfless love. And it can be redemptive when we're doing it in the love of God because we have a greater purpose. We want to be the light to that person, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we're loving like that, we actually become a light because love is ethical. Love is a morality. If you love, you do the right thing. You do the right thing. Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verse 10, love does no wrong to its neighbor. That's about as ethical as you can get. So all this business of love is, is you know, it's not just violins and a moonlit night and candles. This love is a love in work clothes. It's a love for everyday life. That's why Paul can say walk in love, because walk tells us it's a pattern of life. Some of our translations render the word walk by lifestyle language, and that's, that's valid, but the word walk is there because it, and it becomes a metaphor of a lifestyle, a life pursuit, a life occupation. It becomes that because walking is so fundamental to what we do in life. In fact, the early Jews of Paul's time, uh, when it came to the study of Scripture and obeying the oral law, they used the word walk from the Hebrew, and they called that whole body of literature the walk. 
halach in Hebrew. And it's the same word that Paul would have in mind when he uses this fundamental Greek word that means to walk. We are to walk in love as Jesus Christ exemplified. And the kicker is, it is tough. It's a sweet, sacrificial offering unto the Lord. And that becomes an incentive for us, a bonus incentive that what God deemed something sweet and of the most precious kind, we can follow in kind as well. But love and light are not opposites. And that comes out in the third comparison in verse, uh, verse 3, as is proper among the saints. Later, he will say in verse 7, don't imitate, and he'll talk about not becoming partners in things of darkness. But here, he says, as is proper among the saints. And that really points to the character uh, as an elaboration on how we imitate God. So, these three comparisons indicate we imitate God Why? Because we're inspired by His love for us. We are beloved children. By His example, the example of Jesus Christ's own love, and by the character that is as is proper among the saints. And this really points us toward the transition to talk to us and about us as light. The emphasis that He brings to mind in verses 3 and 4 have to do with the fact that God's love governs the whole of our life, even the strong cravings of our flesh and the depths of our heart, because he mentions sexual sin and the use of our tongue. And Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, that the use of our tongue is a real heart issue. Out of the heart proceeds what comes across on our lips. It's resident within us. And certainly, one of the most ruling passions that can overthrow the quality things and virtues of our heart is sexual lust. They are powerful forces. And Paul acknowledges that. In fact, he says they're not even to be mentioned among us. But what I want us to appreciate, and listen, this is where your restless curiosity, your whimsical curiosity will come into play. Love, love will overcome those passions if you learn to love like God wants you to learn to love. That's why he wants you to imitate him. That's why Jesus Christ's love is our example. And it is that love that becomes more dominant in our lives. It's not a sentimental love. It's a love that is sacrificial, that so touches our heart and exemplifies the grace and love of God that it transforms our value system. And these are counterfeits. That what he describes here in verse 4 and 5 are counterfeit expressions of 
especially the sexual sin, is a counterfeit expression of, of love or a strong passion. His love is what should dominate us. And he goes on to talk about it as light. Imitate him by walking in his light, verse 8. He says, you were formerly darkness, but now light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You take on the character of the sphere in which you live. That's the way it is for people. That's the way it is for us. And uh, when we are walking in love, we are truly expressing a light to the world with the quality and character of God's, uh, God's love. It is a light. It's interesting, light in antiquity, in the way they would use the word light, it's clear that it was uh, used symbolically of revelation and knowledge, uh, uh, character and truth. The very Greek word that is generally translated, commonly tr translated truth, is the opposite of the, it's the word concealed, and truth means unconcealed. It's the word that means hidden or covered, and truth means uncovered and exposed, unconcealed. So when you hear that, you realize that truth and light go hand in glove. Listen to this uh, quick quote from Plutarch, which is about the time of Paul. He says, why do you not perform your unmentionable acts for all to see, but as it is, you hide away, ashamed even of yourself, and entrust your excesses to night and darkness, where there are no witnesses. No one makes darkness a cover for his noble deeds, ashamed that daylight should witness them, a man would wish that the whole universe might become a sun to see what he does aright. A shining sun to see what he does aright. The point I want to make is that Paul clarifies that love really, uh, when we express and walk in love, his kind of love, that has an influence on the way we lead our life. And it is indicative of what we would call light. It's revelatory of the person of God in our lives. Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And then he said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Joseph B. Keller, as I mentioned at the beginning in his obituary, uh, was described as having accomplished a number of wide-range things in science. It, it also said that he, he was said to have tackled brain twisters in virtually every scientific domain. People can be brain twisters. I got uh, some emails this week saying, you know, while the, the series on Ephesians has been encouraging, we've talked quite a bit about love. It's, it's not peripheral to the Christian life. It's central. I mean, it should be the ethic by which we live. But when you live it, it can be very hard. And that's what some of these emails were about, is how tough it is to love the people that they work with.
So I wanted to share five tips on loving. How to love sandpaper people. The first is start with faith. Paul said in Galatians 5.6, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Think about that. Faith working through love. You know, we think, how should I express my faith? How can I demonstrate my faith? How do I put my faith to work? And your faith isn't just in you or something out there. Your faith is in the Lord. It's always in the Lord when you're talking about biblical faith. When you put your faith in Him to work, it works through love, Paul says. So that's where we begin. We begin with faith and not feelings. I can't emphasize that enough. If you're looking for feelings, you'll be waiting a long time to do the things that Jesus Christ calls us to do as His disciples. You won't be able, you won't be able to love enemies. And that's what he called us to do. You can if you'll exercise your faith in love, which is what Paul's talking about. If you're waiting for a feeling, you'll be waiting a long time. Charles Spurgeon said, Faith goes up the stairs that love has built and looks out the windows which hope has opened. Boy, when you start to love by faith, it will open windows on your spiritual life, introducing real sense of God's presence, the importance of what God can do through you, the impact you can make, and the hope and expectancy that it introduces into your life. Second, oops, I've got them all up there at once, don't I? There we go. Second, start with God. I know those could be just one, but I wanted to break it down. We need to be more loving to others, and we feel that. But we don't begin with ourselves trying, you know, trying to love more. I'm going to try to love more. That starts with me. What I want you to do is begin with God. Go to Him. Admit your lack of love. I've done that a lot of times. (laughs) Sometimes I just, I don't feel that. And I'm battling with loving the person with my words, with my attitude, you know, and my appearance. And I want to be completely genuine and honest. But inside, there's a battle going on because I want to live up to, in every respect, the kind of love that I believe God demonstrates to me in Jesus Christ and has and does. And so... I want to begin with him, get my eyes off myself, go to him, admit my lack of love, and ask for help. And I I, just open your heart to a fresh and deeper experience of God's love. Don't think so much about your love, think about his love. And I, I have found that that is a transforming thing. It draws me deeper and closer into my awareness of God's presence, who he is to me, and in a sense, the key is turning your attention not to our lack of love, but to God's abundance of love shown on the cross. And I'll tell you, at the foot of the cross, 
uh, love is always found. So I, I do want to emphasize, start with God and His love through Jesus Christ. Third, do it and don't wait for the feelings. I kind of touched on that, but I wanted to share, I got a moment, I wanted to share um, something Mark Roberts, um, not our Mark Roberts, but another Mark Roberts, uh, who wrote about his experience in loving people within his church as a pastor. And there's a little twist of this that I thought might be insightful. Um, he talks about a man that he calls Holden and how difficult it was. And here's some of the wording. He says, I knew very well that Holden's, Holden said, hey, can I have, have he would invade his space. He'd say, can I have just a minute of your time? And of course, um, Mark knew that a minute meant an hour and that sort of thing. And he was just a kind of a sandpaper person for Mark, but he really, truly, sincerely wanted to love him. And so he said, he uses the words, my heart hardened with dislike for Holden. I knew that as his pastor, I should love him but I could not summon up feelings of love. When I asked the Lord to help me love Holden, I sensed no magical change in my affections. But I did become convinced that God wanted me to choose to love Holden, to act lovingly toward him, no matter how I felt. So out of sheer obedience, I did this, however imperfectly, and after time, I noticed that I didn't feel, I did indeed feel a smidgen of compassion for Holden. As my heart warmed to him, loving him in action became easier. Moreover, I found that my overall capacity for love seemed to be greater. I was being changed because I was putting on love even as I was putting on Christ, as we learn from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22, 23, 24. Put off, be renewed in your, in your mind, and put on the new humanity. And that's a new love as well. I wanted to share that part with you because it, it, it speaks to the reality of our experience even as pastors. In fact, he says, by the way, even though he's not uh, Holden's pastor anymore, uh, they remain Facebook friends. And he says, Holden encourages me. Now, fast forward 20 years later, this same pastor, and he encounters another person that is just testing him, so to speak, to the nth degree. And he says, I reached out to him, and he slapped my hand. When I made myself vulnerable, he attacked. In my darker moments, I fantasized about ways to knock him off his perch. I asked God to help me, and sometimes I felt spasms of compassion, but they didn't last. What did last, however, was my conviction that, as in the case of Holden, I was supposed to love this man through actions. No matter how hard my heart might be, I was called to act with kindness and compassion, to forgive as God had forgiven me in Christ, and to walk in love as Christ 
love me. Now, I can't put it any plainer. We love, but we don't always feel that love. But we will develop convictions which are necessary to the heart of our faith and our ability to mimic, to imitate, to copy God by walking in love and walking in that love, walking as children of the light. The fourth, be light, reveal and expose. You know, uh, over the years, I haven't wanted to give up. When I turned to Christ, I didn't want to give up my friendships, and I, I tried to hang with them. I, I'll tell you, light just doesn't have that much. I was a changed guy. You know, I, would, I, would, I went to a couple of the parties very early on. I mean, this is in the first year. And I remember sitting around in a circle and then passing a joint, me just passing it by. That was hard stuff, you know, but I really didn't have the same desires. But because I love those people, and you do eventually grow apart because the thing that is most precious to me, they don't share, and that is Jesus Christ. So that's inevitable. But I have had an impact because of the consistency of my life. And because of that, seeking to love, 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 you actually reveal the heart and character of the gospel. And sometimes they come to you, and when they come to you, they come to you just as they are in the darkness. Sometimes you have to change their thinking or show how your thinking is different, but you do it in a way that's loving. You don't shame them or cause them to lose face. God didn't do that when he called us to Christ. He loved us as we were, and we love them. But in being a person of gospel-charactered love, we are a light to them. There's a different value system. We do have different passions, and we do speak in different ways. And finally, if you make a mistake, fix it in the same love that you made it. And that's light. You know, sometimes even when you're seeking to love people, you can make mistakes. I've actually done that as a pastor. I guess that's why I'm more comfortable um, admitting, you know, my mistakes. Or to me, if, you know, if you point out, don't all line up at once, please. But if you, if you come and you say, hey, you didn't do this right, um, most likely I'll say, let me fix that. Because I don't have to be perfect. But I'm, be, I'm being changed by seeking to be more loving. And it affects every area of my life. And it will yours too, and it's the way we imitate God. There's great inspiration, example, character, and motivation in this. It'll make you the light around you and a source of encouragement to other people. Now, will you stand with me? Let me close in prayer. I'll be up front along with pastoral staff, elders, spouses, if you'd like to pray with us. Gracious Heavenly Father, there is nothing more important than your love to us through Christ in a person who sacrificed and gave. And the work of your Spirit nudges us, challenges us, restlessly prods us to be your loving people.
Father, it is a privilege to imitate you, and we praise you for the new humanity that is ours in Jesus Christ. May we live it out with great enthusiasm, with the restless, even whimsical interest in being more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.